Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We're glad that you have chosen to join us once again as we continue on this journey through an important subject. We are looking at it on death, dying, and the future hope. And this week, we're on lesson number 11. We are closing in on the very end of our 14 lessons, but we still have some important ones to go, not the least of which is what we're going to be looking at today, end-time deceptions. And we're grateful to be able to have with us once again today Dr. Alberto Tim, he is an associate director of the LNG White Estate and the author of the Sabbath School lesson. Alberto, welcome back. I am very pleased to be with you. So, end time deceptions. I want to begin by reading the memory verse for this week, and then we're going to start talking about some of these end time deceptions. The memory verse is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. I think these are probably familiar passages to many of us. Verse 14 says, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. That's a pretty good-sized deception. His followers, his his angels, his demons, uh, can also transform themselves. And of course, the adversary's got plenty of human beings who are doing his bidding. As we get closer and closer to the end of time, we can expect that there are probably going to be quite a few deceptions. How far off am I on that? Well, actually, Paul speaks about the last days as being terrible, difficult. They're different translations of this passage of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. Um, uh, but anyway, what we will find today uh, in our world, I mean, there are many different theories. And some people are inclined to say that, well, this is just a matter of opinion. It's just a cultural matter. A friend once told me that sometimes culture can be an excuse for disobedience. So be careful with this. The matter is not if it's cultural or not. Is, is it in harmony with the Bible or is it not? If it's not, if it contradicts the Bible teaching, the clear teaching from God's Word, then we have to be careful. And we should not really embrace such kind of ideas. But today our world is really full of mysticism and uh, spiritualism and all kinds of this uh, uh, paranormal or whatever you want to call it experiences. And this has been spread through many of Hollywood's uh, productions. You have plenty of books and some of these components also are in the new trend, the manga, as it's called, that kind of literature with all the drawings coming from Japan. You have video games and so. And especially one topic that's very popular today is the so-called near-death experiences. And so we're going to be looking at, at a lot of these topics or these subjects in this week's lesson. Let's start with mysticism. What exactly is mysticism? What are some things that are associated with mysticism? Because the word itself is 
well, rather mysterious. And, and maybe somebody who hears mysticism doesn't know what exactly that is. And perhaps there are some things that we never considered to be mysticism. We never considered that they might be mysticism that fall under this umbrella. So what is mysticism? How can we understand this, this idea? Well, the mystic element is basically all that that you cannot explain from a rational perspective. So there is something that goes beyond reason. And you have many of uh, this going beyond reason. There are experiences that you cannot explain that are real, but they happened. And so in this you have ideologies, you have the power, for instance... Uh, I would put under mysticism some kind of of power attached to the crystals, to the minerals. So let's suppose you bring there there a pyramid at home or an obelisk. And this has the power to attract the cosmic the cosmic uh, fluids, so to say, or the cosmic power to me here. So this comes very close to what in the Middle Ages they had the relics, for instance, where things have power uh, to help me out on this situation or other. This is just an example because this, as you mentioned, use the word umbrella and is a word that I like as well, is a very huge element. But Usually there is some things that goes beyond reason. So things that are what we might call supernatural, unexplained, uh, at least from, from a human perspective. And so they seem interesting. Uh, they, 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 there's an allure to them because of the, the mystery involved in them. You know, one of those things that you, you talk about on Monday is near-death experiences. Near-death experiences. This is a, something that is, well, it's a challenge for many people to deal with because many people have had near-death experiences or they know someone who has had a near-death experience. And the temptation is to say, well, I see what the Bible says, but I have experienced or I know someone who has experienced. And so the, the Bible gets sort of shifted down a shelf and the experience can go up on the top shelf. What's the danger with near-death experiences and, and why are they something that we really need to, to pay careful attention to? Not the experience itself, but, but watch out for it. Strange as it might look, the first reference to this kind of experience that I know of, maybe there, there are other ones, is precisely in Plato's book, The Republic. Because I mentioned before, you have this one that's called the, the Fedu. You have another one is the, the Fedrus, that deal very much about this kind of mystical element and so this dichotomic approach. But close to the end of this book by Plato, The Republic, that's his best-known book, uh, He speaks about a soldier, a brave heir, E-R. And there was a war, he was killed, and then his body was not decomposed. 
for 12 days. And that was strange because the other ones, yes, but he remained. And then here it, it's mentioned that when he went to the afterlife, whoever was there to judge the souls, his soul was not judged. He said, no, you will not go to the reward. You just wait here. And then uh, you, you see what is going on here. And then later on, you will go back to the living ones and you will tell what you saw here. And sure enough, according to what is stated there, uh, 12 days later, he went back and then he could tell what he saw. So what I see in this case is a parallel. These experiences are not grounded in the Bible because of all people that were resurrected in the Bible, there is no, no near-death testimony whatsoever. It's absolutely out of the Bible. But in this book here, I found an experience. You know, it started really to become more popular in uh, 1975 when Raymond Moody Jr. published his famous book, Life After Life, with several accounts on this to this extent. And there they had basically all the similar stuff like a tunnel with a light, I mean, a light being at the other side welcoming the person, and then later on he came back and could then explain exactly what, what happened. But uh, it's interesting that there are many books on this matter. But there is one that claims to be the, science, uh, the scientific approach to near-death experiences and the broadest studies, and is the book that I have here in my hands. And it says that finally we actually know that this is something for real, because some people used to claim that they were just psychochemical experiences, like when you have the LSD or some other kind of drug, and it really has that kind of effect with that kind of hallucination. But in this one, it says clearly, and I am reading from from page uh, 51, it says that the near-death experiences, the studies, show that 45% of those surviving said to have psychic, paranormal, and other special gifts that they did not have prior to that experience. So this kind of near-death experiences, in my understanding, seems to be opening the doors, the gates for the mystical, spiritualistic, paranormal world for many people. So during those experiences, there is no reference to the gospel of how to really be closer to God, but only the, the, the experience by itself and the results you can see in this case, people become mediums um, and so on. So I don't see this as having any Bible ground, but exactly part of the final deceptions that uh, the Bible speaks of. So if we choose to allow our senses to determine what's truth, we can put ourselves on some pretty dangerous ground. And it sounds like a slippery slope because some who have experienced this, as you mentioned, have gone into 
uh, other elements or other areas of, uh, of mysticism. But the good news for us is that if we want to know what the Bible teaches on the subject or what the truth is on a subject, maybe I should say it that way, that the Bible actually teaches us the truth on that subject and we can trust it. And so that's why we've been studying the subject, this subject in the Bible over the course of the last 11 weeks, and we still have a few weeks to go. But if you would like to dig into it more deeply, get more out of it, understand it better, and share the encouraging truth of, on this subject with others, I want to encourage you to make sure that you pick up the companion book to this quarter Sabbath School lesson on Death, Dying, and the Future Hope by Alberto Tim. And you can pick that up at the It Is Written shop. That's itiswritten.shop. Again, itiswritten.shop. The name of the book is On Death, Dying, and the Future Hope by Dr. Alberto Tim. This subject, if rightly understood, can give us so much hope, so much encouragement, so much peace, and allay so much anxiety. God has given it to us for such a time as this to give us encouragement. We're going to be back in just a moment as we continue looking at this very important subject, end time deceptions. We'll see you back in just a moment. Crystals, yoga, Ouija boards, witchcraft are back in vogue. What the Fox sisters popularized is now part of pop culture. Books and movies about witchcraft, wizardry, and magic are everywhere. What's often said to be just entertainment is part of something much larger and darker. Don't miss Dancing with the Devil, where we'll explore the rise of the occult, and you'll meet a young woman who overcame her involvement with the occult through the power of God. In a world where the media is saturated with occult imagery, in a society where ghosts and demons are treated as trivial and fun, it's never been more important to discern between the sacred and the profane. In Dancing with the Devil, you'll learn there's nothing new under the sun, and that the roots of what we see today go all the way back to the origin of sin. Dancing with the Devil, brought to you by It Is Written TV. Welcome back to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. We are taking a look today at end-time deceptions and the importance of understanding them in the light of what happens when a person dies. Uh, Alberto, I want to come back to the lesson here on Tuesday. You talk about reincarnation. Most people that I know don't believe in reincarnation, but you go to other parts of the world and that's not exactly the case. Where does the whole idea, the whole belief system of reincarnation originate? How, how did it come into being? What lays the foundation for it? And how can we know that this is not a, a biblical belief or a reality? If you ever pick up the Book of the Dead, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, you will see there that there are some kind of prayers if you become a falcon, you should pray this one to become another one and so on. So this idea of reincarnation is very clear in Egyptian pagan religion. Of course, it's a complete mystical and complex way. One of the most difficult religions in my understanding to understand is the Egyptian religion because it has so many trails and so on. But I don't want to go into this. But really the reincarnation, and this one is also present 
in Plato. What, when I, I went through Plato, one thing that surprised me is that very few of the new ideas in regard to, to that, that we have today are not grounded in some way or another one in Greek philosophy. But of course, in the world, a world, world is so complex and you have so many different expressions. But a reincarnation is the notion that you can reincarnate into a lower level of life or another one. When I was starting to work after finishing college, one day I went, somebody came to my place and he said, or better saying, I went to the place of somebody and that person said, well, in this life you are a human being. Next reincarnation, you might be even a sound system. I never heard about this before. I thought always that people would believe in, in living beings and not something else. But that what is what the man mentioned. And I would not mention his religious background because I don't want to be offensive in this way. But anyway, this is a notion. The notion of reincarnation is absolutely against the Bible. First of all, you improve or you grow not by God's grace, by, by uh, coming from one stage of life to another one, and so it goes basically in Hinduism, as uh, this is one of the forms. Another one really is that the morality of our life depends of uh, evolution in a certain sense. And then you have other ones, for instance, the idea that uh, the destiny, uh, my destiny is not decided forever and ever during this lifetime because I have several chances later on. I can get, go backwards or I can progress, whatever is the case. Also in this case, the second coming does not make much sense. And especially when you go to Hebrews 9, 27, it says very clearly that for the human beings, us, we die once and then later on we will face judgment. So there, there is not a second chance after that. So the whole idea of reincarnation is in direct opposition to the Bible uh, text. So we, we see some problems with mysticism, we see some problems with reincarnation, we see some problems with near-death experiences. The next one that you address here in the study is necromancy and ancestor worship. Now, necromancy sounds like a, a very long, mysterious word. What, what is necromancy? Break that down a little bit, and how does that have to do with ancestor worship? Because again, in some parts of the world, there's a great deal of ancestor worship, and other parts maybe not so much. But what is necromancy, and how does that fit in with, uh, with ancestor worship? Well, actually, necromancy is the communication with the dead. So this communication usually takes place when somebody who died shows up in your front and you in appears. You go, for instance, into a mediunic uh, experience, and then you can see your grandpa 
who passed away many years ago, and he speaks to you, and so on. This is very attractive for people that, uh, that really uh, miss their beloved ones. And the other one is basically this idea that they believe that the death has some, something, can provide some kind of advice for us, help us in our lives, and so on. So, in some of the, of the Asia religions, um, some if, of our Western world, the older you become, the more obsolete you are. And you need to be replaced. But in other places, especially in Asia, they believe that you are more reliable because you build more knowledge, you have more experience, and soon you will become an ancestor. So they praise the old people and especially the ancestors because they can learn from them and be blessed by them. But all this has to do with some kind of conscious or unconscious communication with them. So communication with, with the dead. There's, there's a, an interesting story, and this is a story that often gets brought up when we're talking about this in the Bible. The story that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 28. So it's the, the, the witch of Endor, as it were. Share a little bit about that story and what, what we can learn from it and what we ought not to take away from it. Well, this is a very, very self-explanatory experience because first of all, you remember that Saul destroyed many mediums and spiritists in Israel, according to the commandment that you find in the, in the Pentateuch. So he followed it clearly, so he did not, uh, not, uh, not uh, spare them. But later on, he departed from the Lord and was rejected by the Lord. So the Lord was no longer with him, and so he stopped his communication with the Lord. So he himself now went to Endor and spoke with this, uh, this lady who, who was a mediunic uh, uh, person. And in that case, he had a special request that Prophet Samuel should appear. And the lady was afraid, saying, but why do you come to me? You have been, you, you killed the other ones, the other mediums, and so on. Why do you, do you come to me? And then he promised that he would not really do any, anything with her. Just bring me Samuel. And then Samuel comes up, you know, does not come down from paradise, but comes up and then appears there and speaks to him saying that, uh, you will be with me tomorrow. Tomorrow you will be me, with me. Well, this is a very strange uh, uh, record because of something. Uh, Samuel died, I mean, later on. But if, uh, if Samuel supposedly would be in paradise, how could he promise uh, Saul that he would be with paradise uh, since he was absolutely against God. He was in apostasy, so to say. Does not make any sense. You see immediately that there are contradictions there. But this is a word of uh, warning to us, this whole chapter, not to get involved with this kind of experiences 
because they are absolutely misleading and actually they are part of Satan's strategy to mislead people because it contradicts completely the Bible uh, and its teachings. So when it tells us in that story that the, that the witch brought up Samuel, that was not actually Samuel who was brought up because that would be completely contradictory to the Bible. That was a personation. All right, impersonation is actually what we get to on Thursday's lesson. Uh, and I want to read again Second uh, Corinthians 11, verse 14. It says, No wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. All of these deceptions that we've been looking at this week have, have been leading toward a master deception that, that is one day going to come. What's that big deception going to be? Actually, let me just mention, if Satan is able to transform himself into an angel of light, can he not transform himself also into other human beings, especially the ones that are deceased, the ones that died already? Actually, if you read the book, The Great Controversy, you will see that over there it's mentioned that in the last days... uh, Demons will even person, personify or personate uh, the apostles of Christ. And uh, in this case, it, it will be not so difficult for one to say, well, I am the apostle J- John when I wrote my gospel and the book of Revelation. That was for that time. But now we have another, we are in another world, we have a better light. So in this case, the climax of it is when Satan will really uh, appear as if was Christ himself and to mislead. And if you are not grounded in this whole package, this huge menu of different strategies that Satan uses to misguide people, uh, it will be a difficult time. Our only assurance is to be faithful to the Bible. And that's really why we're spending 14 weeks looking at this subject so that we can be prepared and, and guard against these deceptions that in truth are going to cause a lot of people to stumble and fall and probably in the very end be lost because they haven't placed their faith in the word of God and instead they've listened to their heart, they've followed their eyes, they've followed their ears, and they've fallen victim to a lot of these end time deceptions that we've been looking at here this week. Alberto, I want to thank you once again for making this lesson very, very clear, making it very practical, and helping us to see some of the deceptions that are taking place in the world, sometimes in other parts of the world, sometimes very close to where we are right now, because the adversary is preparing the way for a great deception which is to come. And if he can get us to believe some of the smaller deceptions right now, then he is preparing us for that time when he's going to deceive a great many people and cause many people to be lost. But we don't have to be lost. You don't, I don't. We can be ready. We can be prepared for those days by being prepared today. So I hope and trust that you have been enjoying this study on this subject of death, dying, and the future hope. We're going to continue it again next week as we have three more lessons left this quarter. We look forward to seeing you again next time on Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written.